What's up, everybody? You're listening to Salah's Corner with the one and only Salah Muhammad. So I have a very particular passion, and it really focuses on normalizing politics, uh, voter engagement, and making politics accessible to any and everyone. So on today's episode, I'm sitting with Omar Sabir. He's running for Philly commissioner. Um, and we talked about just that, uh, some of the efforts that got him into politics and and how he was able to find his political place um, and running for this particular office, but also just the importance of normalizing politics and education as we go through the system. We went through the history of some voter statistics uh, in previous elections and some stigmas that are out there about uh, how we vote and how we engage in voting, but also some historical data like gerrymandering, what that means, what the commissioner office actually does. Um, A lot of different things that are truly important when it comes to normalizing how we engage in politics and how we can be better civic adults as we navigate our culture. I'm sure a lot of you are wondering how I make my podcast sound so crisp and clean. Well, I have to thank the folks at Rec Philly. They provide me the space, the time, and equipment to make this podcast happen. And it doesn't just end there. It's also an opportunity to connect with other creative individuals just like me. And not just other podcasters. I'm talking writers, musicians, photographers, anyone that considers themselves a creative individual. So if that's you, head on down to Rec Philly. It is super affordable. The memberships are great. And it's an opportunity to flex your creative muscles. If that's you, I hope to see you there soon. So let, let's talk a little bit about like where, where you got started and what drove some of your passions into what you do. Well, the first thing I can say, um, there's an old tradition that, you know, someone, uh, you know, seeks out leadership. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't, uh, you don't, you're not supposed to give it to them. So I was actually brought into politics and people asked me to be involved in it. And then that's, that's how I got involved in it. Uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. Uh, my father, uh, Nathaniel Sabir, I was a big uh, labor leader uh, for Laborers Local 332. And so they always been involved uh, politically. And me, as a younger person, you know, I, that's what put food on the table, you know, throughout the year. So I was always involved in politics uh, as far as working part of it. But as I got a little older, went to college, you know, it just kind of like, you know, what's in it for me? You know, right. Why should I vote? Right. And then as I came home, saw some of the conditions, I received a phone call that I had to help out uh, State Representative Louise Williams Bishop. Mm. That was a phone call from the union. He said, you're going to be her driver. And I'm like, okay. Now, I always knew Rep. Bishop just from being like, you know, Bishop, like, okay. You know, heard on the radio. But I never knew her, like, up close. I never knew where her policy stance was or anything. But she said she needed help. Met her. And back then, you know, my pants was uh, hanging down. Mm. You know, I'm... I'm walking around, moving around, and, you know, she never judged me. She said, okay, come on. You know, she never once told me, you know, that I have to, you know, wear a suit and tie or anything. I was wearing jeans, you know, sneakers and boots. And she and she embraced me. And when she embraced me, you know, she was taking me to fancy places, you know, for her campaign. And the thing was, just me being in that environment, I knew, okay, I had to give me some slacks. Knew I had, to give me. had to step your game right. up. And then when I wore the slacks, <laughs> when I wore the, you know, she said, oh, you look, you look nice. You know, she was giving positive um, encouragement. 
And then from there, Sashi interacted. I knew that there was a need over at the Philadelphia Traffic Court mm-hmm. because most Philadelphians uh, are, are people of color and we have an impoverished uh, city. So the people that was coming down the traffic court, uh, disproportionately, it was, it was a ton of African-American people there and Latino because a simple, you know, $100 or $200 uh, ticket stop with the live stop can actually change your life. Yes. You know, and it's like it's amazing how, how deep the dynamic is because you had three separate agencies there. You had the state PennDOT, mm-hmm. you had uh, the parking authority, and then you had the first uh, the first judicial district. So that those three trying to get the government in order for you to get your car back, you know, we've seen people have to pay upwards of, you know, four or five thousand dollars on a one hundred dollar ticket. When you already living in poverty. When you already living in right. poverty. And, you know, you, 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 you can be faced with that, you know, even if you just got up, went to work, and somebody actually, you might let borrow your car, they get stopped, you know, and then it's like you had to pay tickets on a car. And then it's like you had to pay tickets. Let's just say if you, like, had, um, let's just say somebody co-signed a car with you, mm-hmm. and they was on the, uh, the car note, you actually have to pay back their tickets as well. Not not even if you're the owner, if you didn't have no tickets, but right? And somebody else you knew they had old parking tickets, like three. You had to pay all of those tickets back in order to get your car back, and then all the meantime, you're paying storage fees, right? right? So every that's, day, I saw that yeah. part of it, and even myself, I've been involved in the process. I let somebody with my car come back. Man, I gotta pay three, four thousand to get my car back, right? And there's no negotiation because they have control of your car. So it's like it's it's a rough. It's it's been a, a, a racket down there. And for Harrisburg to take to take control over that office was uh, it was it was horrible, and um, so I ran for that. We won, came in first place. Uh, but then, you know what I was saying earlier was that in 2013 that was the worst election in the history of Philadelphia politics. About seven percent of the population participated in the mm. process, and so when we say seven percent, that means seven out of 100 potential voters, eligible voters didn't participate in the process. Wow. So then the legislator over the summertime, which I believe the process was illegal with the way how they did it, and they actually abolished it and took control over it. So now they rolled it over to municipal court, and now they have hearing officers there. Mm. And so now the convictions are up. And so what that means is that more black and brown people are just paying out of pocket. They don't have a case that they can plead to say, hey, Your Honor, you know, what can you do? And the judge can look at things, and then he has some wiggle room, you know, to try to, uh, you know, save some money for some people. But, you know, it's just, it's just a shame uh, how it's happened because evictions are up, and you don't really get a fair just do, in my opinion, because the person that's hearing the case is working for the courts. Right, right. And that was the whole purpose of having, you know, uh, traffic court in the first place. And the way how people in places like Harrisburg and D.C., you know, they just view, like, Things like that is uh, ways to generate revenue. Mm. So it's a it's a money making machine for him. Money making machine. You're talking about almost five six hundred million dollars. Wow. That was running through that place. Wow. And it's but it still does. I mean, like uh, there, uh, child support. You know, whatever you paying those uh, child fees. I'm, I'm sorry, the court fees. That's basically like a tax on typically uh, black and brown people, mm-hmm. and people that's typically involved in those interactions. Uh, they don't uh, participate in the voting process. Right. Now, had they would vote more, then you typically wouldn't tax them. 
Uh, so a lot of times with policymakers, uh, they look, I call it the two P's of poli- two P's of politics. It's participation and policy. Mm-hmm. When I say participation, I mean ballot participation. So that dictates the uh, policymakers. And they come up with it. Okay, these people not voting? Okay, well, guess what? We could charge them free for this, charge them free for that, charge them for this. And then you look up, you know, you're paying more taxes and there's mm. more revenue that's coming in. Is, is that something that you felt and saw happening and what thrust you even further into seeking elected office? Well, yeah. So, I mean, I saw that. And then, you know, it's just the old saying, you know, you know, if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? Hmm. I mean, it's, you kind of can sit on the sideline and just say, well, you know, I wish somebody would do it. Right. I just wish we would have someone. And there's a lot of that in our community. Yeah, then just start getting to, well, why, don't, why don't you do it? Right. And, you know, and it's to run for political office, you have to have a, a lot of support. Uh, that's one of the things that you just can't do by yourself. Right. And I know a lot of times people say, well, you know, this person, you know, they ran, they got challenged, they got knocked off. The-. There's so many different things that you come through when you're not successful mm-hmm. than other than, you know, I, I didn't really have a proper support and the message that I had didn't necessarily resonate mm-hmm. with a lot of people. So, and I saw that. So I worked for Senator Vincent Hughes. Uh, so then uh, in 2015, um, there was a city commissioner uh, who was reported that he didn't vote mm. and that he wasn't attending work regularly. Mm. And I, I just felt that I was compelled to actually, you know, to run for a change. Now, I didn't have any party support. I had limited uh, resources. And I just said, man, I, this is this is, this is is insane. You know, people die for our right to vote, and we have a commissioner that's not voting. So I threw my hat in the ring, uh, which I lost. Um but it wasn't a surprise, I, you know. But I just wanted to at least be, let it be on the record that, you know. You're coming. That, hey, man, <laughs> you know, that this, this isn't <laughs> right, man. And then uh, we saw throughout the years, uh, that's when I reestablished uh, Vote Philly Vote, just engaging people about uh, the voting process and how important it was. And then uh, we saw a lot of the party leaders and community leaders say, hey, man, why don't you run again? You know, the guy, he's retired. Why don't you, why don't you run? And so then, for like the last two years, people just been asking me to run, and I said, "Okay, let's do it." So let, let's let's get into an understanding of what the commission office does. Um, how was it comprised? Okay, so it's a three-member bipartisan board of elected officials. Mm. It's a ten million dollar budget, and we handle all the election functions in Philadelphia County. Every single election. Every six months, there's an election that happens. Mm. Sometimes you have special elections that happen. Right. Uh, so, yeah, every election. Mm. Now, let's let, go back a little bit because, uh, you know, you talked about 2013 being the one of the worst uh, participation, the worst, the worst right. um, in, in the history of the city. What, what, what was going on? Like, what? was happening within the city and i know a lot what was happening across the country at that time you saw a lot of voter suppression efforts particularly for uh black and brown communities um communities that are impoverished um was that something that was taking place within the city as well um as well as as it was taking place across the country things like voter id laws were popping up um do you think that has something to play with uh the the low voter turnout in 2013 well um 
Well, Voter ID came a little bit uh, after that, hmm. uh, but the Voter ID wasn't uh, successful. Hmm. So we actually went to court, which I was part of that. We actually went to court and actually sued uh, state for that. And then the Republicans' lawmakers actually, they even said on record that the reason why they was doing Voter ID was to um, was to increase the voter turnout for Republican leadership. Hmm. It's actually on record. They said it. I mean, you know, it's, so we, we already understood that. I mean, voter ID law never really kicked into effect. Um, you know, and, and Pennsylvania actually has some of the most liberal uh, voting uh, rights for felons. Uh, a lot of other states, they're starting to turn over, but Pennsylvania, if you're a felon, you, you can uh, vote. And, uh, and we do we have old election laws, but I actually just think that people kind of just like fell asleep, man, to will. Mm. Uh, there is voter suppression going on, but typically the voter suppression comes in with the voter registration and you not being on the polls. That's typically how, how it's been happening like uh, nationally. We saw that in Georgia uh, with Stacey Adams, uh, where she knew that she had to get a certain number. Right. So she registered about 53,000 new voters and they purged about 50,000 of them. Mm. So her and her margin that she lost was about, about 50,000. Right, right. But the person that she was running against was actually the Department of State. Well, he was running the... He was the, running all the elections. Running all the elections. All the election stuff across the state. But also was running in the same election to that he was controlling. Yeah. That's correct. That's wild. And so what are some of the... Um, like some of the efforts that the commission often does. I, I know one of the biggest things it's, it focuses on is voter registration. Right. Um, within that budget office, is there something that they, uh, whether it's a policy or whatever it is, to, to make sure that we are increasing either voter turnout or voter registration within new citizens as they're graduating high school, all of those things that would increase voter turnout? Because that's what seems to be the goal of the commission office is to increase voter turnout. Well... See, here's the thing. Okay, the mandate of the office is just to handle the election function. Mm -hmm. That's a big logistical challenge. There are 1,692 voting divisions. There's 838 uh, polling locations. So that means we have to deliver the machines, pick up the machines, make sure that every uh, committee person, every judge of election you know, has what they need in order to open up uh, the election day operation. And that's a big that's a big operation. You have to count up all of those votes from all over the city. You got different races, district races, house races. I mean it's it's a it's a big challenge. And I think a lot of times people look at that whole operation as just like, eh, you know, anybody could do it. But no, it's it's big. I mean yeah, that's, a, that's it. a lot. It's actually a lot and a lot of people don't know typically about it. Just like a lot of other things in, in life, you know, People do so much work all the time, community work. People just mm -hmm. don't know. Right. Uh, but that's that's more or less what it is. Uh, I think the office is underfunded, personally. Mm -hmm. Like I say, it's a $10 million budget, but most of the resources are actually going to which we, what, what we do on election day. Mm. You know, so, and you have 98 full-time employees, and then you have thousands of, like, part-time seasonal jobs. So when you talk about part-time seasonal jobs, most of those people process the voter registration form. So one of the things I want to do when I get in office is we're working with Harrisburg to get uh, automatic voter registration. So that's going to take place that people are not going to have to process, you know, voter registration forms. Mm. So that's a big part of the job. But if we could eliminate that, we had automatic voter registration, 
we then can take those people that we had. I don't want to lay nobody off. People say, oh, you know, you make your office more leaner. No. I want to take those people and then reposition those people to go out into the community and, you know, educate the community about the election process, giving people, you know, uh, logistical uh, information that they need in order to uh, process their vote. What is the plan to make automatic voter registration happen? Like, how would that work? Okay, so now all of the changes that we see, like voter registration, early voting, mm-hmm. paid time off to vote, same-day voter registration, making, you know, voting a holiday. I know we hear people say voting by mail. All these different cool reforms that we want, they have to come from the state legislator. Right. That's the change. So it's going to have to be a multi-faceted uh, approach that we take with this. And by multi-faceted, I mean, yes, of course, we're all going to vote. But then also, like I say, there we talked about special elections earlier. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you may have a state senator or a state representative retiring, and then it'd be an election coming up. So we have to be in tune to find out when those elections are. And then we might have to take volunteers up to assist to actually turn uh, a state over that has the same policies or the same platform for voting reform. Mm. So you have to form, like I say, that coalition. You have to make that an issue that we want. We want to take away barriers to make the voting process easier for people. Is that a, um, from your experience, I know you're not in the office yet, soon to be. Uh, when's the elections, by the way? Let's let's get that out Tuesday, there for everybody. What's May the, 21st. What's the button? Day. My button number is 35. There we go. All right. If you press 35, it's going to make you feel alive. There we go. <laughs> I like that. Um, what is the relationship like with the commission office in Harrisburg? You know, so... Let's say, you, you know, you, the, the commission office is behind some of these changes. Is that a recommendation that Harrisburg takes up it, or considers okay. at all? What's that like to, to help push this policy forward? Okay, well, I actually have um, a relationship uh, with the state. Hmm. So for the last six years, I'm working for State Senator Vincent Hughes. He's the appropriations chairman of the state, the first African-American uh, for the Senate. So, I mean, he's leadership. And so what he's been doing... Uh, so he's been running around across the state being involved in elections. Right. Not just elections here in Philadelphia. So he's been turning red seats blue. I've been it's seeing working. it. It's yeah. working. It's, it's working. definitely working. So right now we're four seats away from actually turning the Senate into the Democrats for the first time. Wow. So it's like, you know, it's like, okay, so it's like, yeah, okay, we got a Philadelphia election, cool. But then, like I said, we bust and take. I mean, and, you know, a lot of times people think, well, you need a 1,000 people. No, if you take. 30 people up into like a special, uh, into an election, and you got 30 volunteers there knocking on doors telling people to come out and vote, that can turn the tide of the right. election. Absolutely. And so we have seen uh, gerrymandering. I know we heard that term a lot. Yeah. Uh, we've seen a lot of reform, and that reform actually came from the courts. So, yeah, so we can work on the legislators, but then there's also, uh, we actually can do it through the court system as well. Mm. You know, we're talking, and, the, and the, the violation that we're talking about, we're talking about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, you know, it's also, you know, that right for you to vote, to be a part, inclusive of the system. So if you feel as though that anyone is, is blocking that barrier, you actually have a right to actually sue. Hmm. Um, let's let's talk about gerrymandering for a little bit. Um, can you explain what that is and what, what really took place within uh, Pennsylvania? Okay, so we had an advocacy group, uh, it was called Fair Districts PA. And they just, you know, I was at the center's office, man. They used to call our office, man, like 
I said at least like two or three times a week. Like, hey, mm. pop. And they was calling, calling, calling. And they wasn't just calling our office. They was calling Senator's office all across. I want these changed, want these changed, want these changed. And then what happened, uh, you know, a lot of people that had the control already. Well, uh, just real quick, just what gerrymandering is. Okay, when you do the political people, it's kind of funny about politics. Yeah. You actually can pick your district that you run in. So you get the information, and then you actually can carve out uh, a district. The party in control carves right. out the district. No, they're right. The elected officials. Yeah. They, they, they decide what the districts are. Yeah. Now, the theory of the district is supposed to be like a continuous like district. What we have seen um, in certain state senatorial districts, you could drive almost two hours and still be in a state senatorial district. Mm. Now, okay, just to kind of give you like an example of it, Senator Sharif's district, this district that we have in, he covered like parts of North Philly, goes to like Mount Airy. It's typically two hundred fifty thousand uh, citizens, mm-hmm. but they can cut a district up away to where though you can have enough Republicans to get you elected in mm. versus your votes. So it's kind of like, well, what's the point? I mean, you cut the district up in a certain way. So the shape yeah. of a district changed. Right. So that it removes half or, or a portion of right. Democratic vote, and right. and it right. starts to look more Republican. Right, and so now, so the way how they draw up the districts, that's on every level, mm. is local, is state, is federal, right? Even the way how some of the councilmatic districts are, are cut up, uh, the way how the councilmatic districts are cut up, and then you also can cut them up based off of uh, like uh, economic status as well. Mm. So I give you an example. There was a group that wanted to make us a, a district for Center City. They want a district, a councilmatic district, to go from the Schuylkill River to the Delaware River, from Gerard Avenue to Washington Avenue. They want that to be a councilmatic district. Hmm. And so, if you'd made that one councilmatic district, you would take all of the, you would have all of the wealthy people in one, in one district. district, right? So the way the councilmatic district is set up now. It's like, you know, uh, second district gets a piece of Center City. Mm. North Philly gets a piece. It's like three different council mag districts that represent Center City. And then it comes all the way back up to the district. Um, also, you see like um, like Councilwoman Cindy Bassett district. Mm-hmm. She has the most uh, diverse um, district. Because her district runs from like North Philadelphia all the way up to like, you know, Chestnut Hill. Mm-hmm. Has pieces of like Germantown in it, so you can see she's my, she's in my district, right? And then mm-hmm. it goes all the way up to you know high high net individuals. And what's 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 the importance of that? I mean, having the your district comprised of a number of different well, you you count everything up. So it's like uh, so you need donors. Mm-hmm. So you might say, okay, man, you know they sitting down, and then it might could be like. A trade-off. Somebody might say, okay, in back, man, you know, as they sitting down, coming up with the districts. Mm-hmm. Now, they all sitting down now. All the all elected officials are sitting down. It's like this big conference. And they're just cutting up and the pie. And they're all figuring out how they're going to make the district. Mm-hmm. And it's but with mobility, negotiations, and they saying, okay. And then sometimes you can get, um, let's say, leadership might get mad at you. And like, okay, all right, cool. I'm going to take some of these voters out. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of new voters in your district. Don't wow. know you. wow. You get mad at me, man, guess what? I'm going to cut your district up, and then I could add, you know, more people from another side of the district take voters out. 
Wow. And then what does that do for that elected official and then ultimately the district that they represent? Well, I mean, it could pit that elected official, um, you know, like that elected official could be then come a little bit afraid because like, okay, wait a minute. I got all these new voters in my district. Hmm. Now I have to go meet them and, you know, reconvene them. Or let's just say I'm a, let's say you could be a, a guy that has maybe an urban agenda. But now let's say you might pitch you in with some people that might not necessarily have an urban agenda. Right. You know, they might be a, they might be progressive. They might be, it could be something else. And they said, okay, well, I don't like your agenda, but now I'm your constituent. Mm. So that can change the whole dynamic. So I, I know there was a, I know within the state, um, there was a, a case that went all the way to the PA Supreme Courts right. regarding gerrymandering. Right. So it was that fair district group that I was talking about right. that was calling. Yeah. So they wanted legislative change. They actually uh, went to a lawsuit and they actually filed it. And then the Supreme Court actually uh, ruled in favor with the, with the districts. They were completely and totally, uh, they wasn't uh, done right. So that was on a federal level. Mm. So we saw a new di- different congressional maps being done different. And then the upside of that is is you have representation that makes sense for the area that you live in. And well, right, because Pennsylvania, the majority of Pennsylvania is Democrats. Right. But if you cut the maps up a certain way, it you're going to have Republican leadership. Right. If The way how they do it, it's just amazing. But, you know, it can happen. But after the gerrymandering, we saw different uh, changes uh, with, with some of the results. So it's turning blue. Um so, I mean, it's it's like, I don't know. I mean, it's just the rules of the game. I mean, just me personally, I mean, I see it. But I do think as long as we come out to vote, I mean, that's the main thing. You just have to come out and just understand that you are important with your vote, no matter what rules are in place. Like, you got to have ballot participation. Absolutely. It has to be at, you know, a nice level. And it has to be optimal. And within the day, when you're voting, people are going to capitulate to what you want. And, and – while voting has increased, like voter turnout, especially within like millennials, has increased since 2013, since it was the worst um, right. uh, turnout that we've seen in the city, right. it's still at not comparable levels to some of our older generations. Right. Um, what's the what's the what's the what's the fix? You know, it's easy to say, you know, we got to we got to get out and vote and we, okay. and we see and do it. But in your agenda and what do you think would be the, the fix to to encourage some of the younger voter turnout? Well, what we've seen, uh, I guess when you compare our generation to the previous generation, mm-hmm. they saw themselves as being change agents, and they actually were supportive of someone that was in their age group. Mm-hmm. Like, take Dr. King, for example. Uh, he was 39 when he was assassinated. Right. Right? Uh, people like Mecca Everest was like 33. You know, so all of these people, and I think the difference could have been, in my opinion, like the millennials back then had children and families mm-hmm. and stuff like So they was already set up so they knew, okay, wait a minute. You know, once you have like children and stuff like that, it's like, oh, wait a minute. We need good schools. Right. If you don't have children, you know, that's not really an issue that you're really thinking about. So it don't it don't really resonate with you to to uh, to be involved. Am I saying everybody that could have children? Millennials? Uh, I mean, they're very expensive. I have five of them. Five. Wow. wow. Think about it. <laughs> but no, I just think um, back then they just they just knew, okay, you know what I mean? They were just more in tune. Mm. They had a better connection with the elders. 
right now there's a disconnect between the millennials, I believe, and the previous generation. Mm-hmm. And and part of that, uh, which I, you know, when I've been out there examining this voting thing, and I, we took like polls on it, a lot of younger people, millennials, they say, okay, there's nothing in it for me and my vote don't count. You know, so what's the point? There's no belief in the system. No belief in the system. Uh, some people believe in uh, entrepreneurial success. They don't see political as being part of business. Back then, they understood that, okay, politics was just the beginning. It's right. all inclusive. Like, you got to do politics to do business. They understood, okay, when you talk about uh, policy, like zoning, like people say, okay, I want to do business. Okay, that's fine. You can do business. But if you had a million dollars, you want to open up a building, you got to go through zoning. Mm-hmm. It's a political process. You got to get permits. You got to go through, like, and then once you apply for your permits, you have to get l to come out, license and inspections to come out, and, you know, okay your stuff. What happens if L and I don't come up or don't show up? You need somebody that you can call and say, hey, wait a minute, where's L and I at? And like the fish can go on the phone and say, hey, L and I, I need you to come over here, you know, take a look at this place. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on? So it's, it's a lot of stuff that, a lot of barriers, a lot of had, uh, hurdles that you have, even in order to be a successful business person. And then there's different uh, grants that's available that you can give to a, a business. Mm-hmm. That's all political. I mean, it's, so a lot of times we try to separate the two. Right. I think, Back in the day, I think they just understood, okay, I just wanted something positive to happen. If it was somebody that we knew that was running for office, we were going to support them. Mm. So you saw that with Wilson Good. You know, Philadelphia was at about 75% voter turnout for Wilson Good. Right. He was only 38 when he got elected to be Really? He was only 38? I didn't yeah. know that. Wow. It's young. That's, that's, that's young. What I, that's, that's young. What I'm saying. So now you look at, okay, let's look at Congressman Fatah. He was like 25 when he got yeah, elected. Yeah, he was in Marion for a while. Tasco, 20, like, they was all in their 20s. They was Dwight Evans. They was like, they were young. You know, so they knew, okay, we're going to send someone from ourselves. I mean, who do we elect? And so, and you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, it's hard. You know what I mean? Like, really trying to tell millennials, hey, man, you know, we had the biggest group. We should be at the table. Come on out and vote. Right. And it's kind of disheartening. And somebody say, man, why should I vote? He's talking about, you know, Seth Williams, stuff like that. And I say, okay, fine. I understand you don't want to vote, but what else do you have planned to do right. that is saying that you're not going to vote? And it's just like, well, I'll share your post, you know, your, your social media posts, stuff like that. But I, it's nice that you posting it up. I need you to come and vote. Right. We actually had people come to my victory party and, and you know, they didn't vote. Mm. Yeah, some people that actually gave to, they donated to the, to the campaign, but they didn't vote. And they didn't, I was just like, okay. That's a strange disconnect. Yeah, so it's one of them things that we still scratching our head. We're still yeah. <laughs> figuring it out. But one of the things we did see success was that we actually answered a lot of people logistical questions that mm. they had. One was, okay, where can I get registered at? So on Vote for Leave Vote, you actually can get registered online. So it takes away the um, the embarrassment, because some people have embarrassment of not participating in mm. Now, some public they can say, okay, I'm not a voter. But when you start looking at people voting records, you can pull them up. It's like, okay, man. And, you know, you can actually pull names up. That stuff is public information. And it's like people used to look up to, like, hey, man, you don't vote. I just thought you, sometimes our perception of what we have is people that will vote is this person. Right. And then when you look it up, it's like, well. You ain't vote at all. You're not really a voter. Yeah. And a super voter, a lot of times it could be that guy that you see standing out, you know what I mean, uh, begging for change. Wow. You know, because he comes, he's involved in all the political campaigns. So he pulls his voting record up. 
Those guys actually voting. Wow. They vote every election. Because they're the people that you see that passing out the literature. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's hard to work on campaigns. It's like part-time work. It's hard to find people. You know, the pay isn't all that great. Mm-hmm. You know, so you'll see, like, you know, certain people, but those people are involved in the process. Wow. More so than, the, as you might say, they might got a suit and tie on. He's college educated. You know, he's not really voting. And, and typically, you know, we, we, the trends that we've seen over the last 10 to 15 years uh, amongst the African-American community, is like, it's like love and it's like a hate thing. Okay, so we love President Barack Obama. In 2012, you know, we voted for him. We had a high percentage. Mm-hmm. Then 2013, you had people not coming up, right. right? And then, okay, you hate, a lot of people don't like President Trump. They hate President Trump. Okay, so you want to come out and vote for them. But it's not that overall line and okay of, you know, I want to vote. And that's something that, you know, the elders had done. And that's why I think we need to have a strategic partnership with the elders and talk to them, okay, well, what made y'all, what motivated y'all really to vote? I mean, we know some of, like, the different, you know, patterns, like, you know, they have families. A lot of millennials don't have families now. I mean, it's a lot of different things that we can look Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of them didn't go to college. A lot of us did go to college. Right. You know, the college somewhat miseducated us, mm-hmm. you know, and made us forget about local issues, responsibilities. That it, um, It's... Glad you said that, because one of the things that I'm finding is and it's been a, a, a bit of a journey for me. Um, it's very easy to get into national politics and to understand it or to to follow what it, well, what's happening because it's so mainstream. It is so much more difficult to find information and to to connect with things that's happening on a local level because the coverage just isn't the same. That I that I found at least, um, you know. So a lot of people, while they understand, you know, they they know who the president is, they know who, right. uh, you know, who their senator may be, they know right. their governor, but you know, they don't know their district members. Right. You know, they don't know city council. Right. Um, they you know they probably don't know state reps and right. state senators. Right. So like that, it's funny that you say that that uh, that disconnect is is really there for a lot of people in understanding what is really happening on the local level versus the the state level. Have, have you seen that at all? Oh, yeah, I, I've seen it. Um, and so and some seniors I, I've spoken to, because trust me, I mean, this is something that I have, I've been studying this like like the last 10 years. I just, you know, and because of my father, he passed away hmm. uh, like 15 years ago. So it kind of put me levitate to be around more older men because my father was gone. Right. So I kind of like, you know, been more around them. They've been very supportive. And a lot of questions I'm back is a lot of people like, you know, what is the difference? And their philosophy is, um, we've seen this uh, in the mosques, uh, the black church. This is they're, they're, a lot of their mentalities. From what I was getting, from what they were telling me, was that hey, we're going to have a nice place for you to be at, but if you don't want to be around, and you know, and put the work in, then we're not going to. You, you can't just come from the outside. It has to you have to put your work in, right? And then we'll elevate you, right? We don't mind supporting young leadership, but you have in. to start from the bottom to pay your dues, and then if we know you, then we can support you. If we don't know you, a lot of times a lot of people say, man, we don't know you. We don't know who you are. So there's community work that's going on. It's just a lot of times people have the narrative, okay, well, there's nothing there's nothing going on. It's like, well, that's kind of a little bit disingenuous because there's community meetings every night. Right. You know, now, do you want to be a part of that? Do you want to be inclusive in that and work with that? Or you want to do your own thing. Mm. And that's fine if you want to do your own thing, but typically you're going to have to, to fund your own uh, operation. 
You don't have the resource. You don't have the physical support there. You know, it's kind of hard to really build up. And then a lot of times, you know, some of the ideas that I think that younger people have, don't just assume that those older people didn't have those same ideas. Right. Or they tried to implement those ideas, and then you had other forces that was pushing them away, you know, for them. Like, you know, I mean, if you think about Dr. King for a second, like, Dr. King had a large, like, FBI-like file against him. Yes, he did. And you think about a guy <laughs> like Dr. King who was, you know, this great humanitarian. Like, why was the FBI spending our tax dollars uh, on Dr. King? Mm. Like, why? What was he doing wrong? He was telling people to be together, be happy to have love, man. But unfortunately, a lot of people still uh, don't want to see black and brown people uh, be elevated to a certain level. They still feel as though that uh, we need to be sit and do as we're told. So a lot of those forces could be a lot of the reasons why we see a lot of things that's happened in our community. Right. Like, this is a good idea. Oh, guys, you just get 10 people together, you put some money together, and boom, boom. You know, we think, okay, nobody's thinking about these great ideas. Yeah, people thought about these ideas. Right. People have had black banks. People have had stuff. It happened before in the past. And we look at, see, okay, there's other forces that actually came, you know, behind it. And so a lot of times, I just think we have to roll up our sleeves and we have to build up that disconnect. And then there's another level of disconnect, too, with the violence that's going on. And there's trauma. And I'm not going to pretend like I know all the answers to this, but it's something we have to look at. Yeah. Okay, so now let's say, you, uh, let's say you're middle age and you have a younger man that actually may have killed your son. I've seen an older man saying, I just hate younger people right now. Mm-hmm. I know it's wrong for me to feel like that but a younger guy actually took my son. And so it was hard for him to be around younger men. Younger men, yeah. And he's just dealing with that. And right. I'm like, you know, I can't tell you, man, that you wrong for feeling like that because that's the honest feeling that you have. Right. Some people are different. Even some of the, like, some of the women say, like, you know, younger people, man, they just, ah, oh, they took my son. Mm. You know, and it's like, man, you know what I mean? I never looked at it through that lens. So there's healing, there's reconciliation, that has to uh, to go on, but main thing is, we have to love each other more than people probably hate themselves. Right. Because we have insecurities that has been passed down to us from slavery. And that, and that that trauma has been. Uh, I mean, we're seeing it now with the conversation around reparations. Um, and I think the, the that conversation tends to get hijacked a little bit because people, right. uh, you know, only attribute reparations to a monetary value and not the the mental trauma that a generation of black people have dealt with and continue to deal with. Um, so it's definitely something that I need to be reconciled with one day. It has, it just has to be in order for, for there to be uh, really a society that is inclusive of black people and just any and all people of color um, or anyone that's disenfranchised. Um, I got one last question for you. It's always my easiest question, but I always stump everybody. What's your most favorite thing in the world right now? My most favorite thing in the world? Yeah. Spending time with my family. Yeah. You Easy. know, it's like... Five kids. Five five children. What's the ages? <laughs> You're about to show your age. No, I'm, I'm whistling. <laughs> no, because they birthed... Like, I just had a birthday. It's like, mm. almost like the birthday. This is come like, okay. So my oldest is nine. Mm. My daughter just turned eight, five, three, and my youngest son just turned one. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. And hey. my oldest daughter, she has, um, 
she has special needs. Mm. Uh, she was diagnosed with autism. And everything that's on the rise, like, you know, special needs. And one thing about uh, her, uh, she doesn't really speak, right? And it's like one out of 88 children has been diagnosed with autism now. So it's starting to be more. So, you know, really trying to get to the cause of it. You know, it could be the diet, could be the environment. It's just little things that we are working on. Could be the vaccinations. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, that's still a voice that needs to be there. And we're talking about making voting accessible, even uh, for people that have sensory issues. You know, we have to make you know voting easy for them. And that's a process a lot of times that we don't really look at that. Like, okay, she's being discriminated. She's Muslim. She's black and she has special needs. So mm. she got three different you know, components with people could possibly, you know, discriminate against her about. So, I mean, it's 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 an ongoing thing. It's holistic, but it has to be done internally. Um, I lost, like, I used to weigh, like, 360 pounds. I was a size, like, 48 waist. Wow. Uh, and, you know, I just wasn't, I, I wasn't really living right. And each, and each component, I always try to look at one separate component of my life. And I just came to the conclusion that you have to work on everything. So you have to have a healthy brain, a healthy body, a healthy bank account. And that's going to lead to healthy communities. So political involvement is all that, businesses and all that, the way how we treat each other, all those different things we just have to be better. And that's a bit abstract, but we have to be supportive, if we can, about anybody that's doing something positive. And sometimes people don't positive. We start thinking, okay, what's their motives? Right. And then we can't, you know, be so hard on somebody if they call and make a mistake. I was on an earlier interview today, and they brought up uh, Seth Williams, right? It's oh man, you know, we that's one of the reasons why we don't, why millennials don't vote. They see a guy like Seth Williams, I say, yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, number one, we got to be he he's serving maybe eight years in jail. Mm -hmm. He's away from his daughter. You know what I mean? The taxpayers are spending about $100,000 a year to house this man in jail, you know, for a white-collar uh, crime that typically you don't get jail for. And it's like, you know, where's the justice in that? Like, it's disproportionate. You know, he made a mistake, but still we just can't say, okay, well, that's the reason why we're not voting because Seth Williams made a mistake. Like, okay, yeah, he might have made a mistake. But then then we got to be forgiven as well. Right. You want somebody to forgive you, but you don't want to forgive other people. It's like, okay, cool. It's like, okay, you got one African-American that might mess up, and then, oh, man, that's that's why we can't hire African-Americans. Yeah. You see that? We, we took one in, and, man, he done made a mistake, and guess what? You know, so we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And I, I think it's uh, it's an understanding of the, the process is never perfect. But it's, you know, so you, you can't let that be a discouragement from your participation. Well, politics is politics is real simple. It's just, it's just like food. You can eat bad food, you can eat good food, right? You know, the same thing with politics. You get good politicians, you get bad politicians. But politics is really, it's just policy. It just is rooted. When you look at all of the deep roots of politics, decision-making and voting, it's just basically you're making a decision on who your leadership is and what type of decisions will be made for your community. I mean, that's what politics is. And it's going to keep being there no matter, no matter what. So you're going to be involved in it or you're not. People are still going to make decisions. People are not going to not make decisions just because you're not there. Right. And people, like I said, are happy you're not being there. Okay, it's less BS. I can do exactly what I want to do. They don't want to come out? Fine. Guess what? I'm going to tell you what kind of school you, you should have. I'm going to tell you the, the neighborhood that you should live in. And I'm going to tell you who, who, who our leaders should be. 
you know, it's just so much, so many different decisions. I mean, you got public health, you know, it's another thing. It's like, okay, if African Americans have issues, you know, with, with health, you know, we should be involved in a political process, you know, because if you look at how public health funds and how it works, like, you know, you need to have doctors, holistic doctors in our community, you know, talking to people and seeing exactly what's going on. Like, that's, that has a budget. So, I mean, when you look at all the different budgets that's going on, just from the way how we collect our trash. Mm -hmm. I mean, the Philadelphia is, you know, certain parts, you know, it's dirty, man. Yeah. You know, we need a, a, truck, a truck to come in, you know, clean this up. But then that streets department, that's a line item budget. You know, do you think your trash should be collected, you know, maybe two or three times a week as opposed to once a once week? Once a week. You know, there's certain parts in the area where you see that's really clean, and they trash get collected twice a week. Mm. There's certain areas we look at as very dirty, get collected once a week. So these are all different things that we look at, and at the end of the day, we have to have something inside of us called fortitude. We have to look deep down and reflect in ourselves to get more involved in the process. And I know it's kind of like an abstract Thing, but you have to look in yourself in order to get these changes. You know, our condition won't change to change the condition of our hearts. Omar Sabir, button number 35. If you push 35, Stay it's going to make you feel alive. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Make sure you guys get out there. Vote May 21st. People die for our right. Let's not let that death be in vain. Let's make choices for our community every six months. You have to vote whether or not somebody that you like or somebody that you don't like. Make sure you participate in the process. Omar, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for spending time with me. Appreciate it. Okay, I want to give a very special thanks to Omar Sabir for sitting with me today and helping to educate our listeners on what the Philadelphia Commissioner Office is. If you like Omar Sabir, again, you can vote for him. Elections are May 21st. So guys, please get out there and vote. Make your presence felt. Make people know that they need to be held accountable for the things that you want within your community and continue to reach out to me and let me know some of the things that you like to see on this platform, on this podcast, any guests you'd like to see me interview, um, any questions that you may have, anything that you may disagree uh, with me on. Um, I continuously like to make this platform a space for everyone to engage in politics, respectfully, of course, but also to further ideas and to make this a place where politics is normal so that everyone can engage and learn something. Uh, if you have any questions, you can feel free to email me at realtalk at salascorner.com. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Salas Corner. Got a few new blog posts up, so check those out soon. Again, elections are May 21st. And just for my regular listeners out there, I know there are tons of you. Uh, but if you notice, I changed my music up a little bit. So let me know what you think of that as well. You can always email me, uh, shoot me a message on Instagram, whatever the case may be uh, let me know what you think of the music this is going to be uh, music prod by delgado someone that i really wanted to feature and hear some of his content he makes some really dope beats guys so check it out until next time peace y'all